0: Welcome to Lamenting the Leafs, I'm Cam with Nick and Keith and we have got another big ass trade to talk about. Uh, Maple Leafs swung a deal with the Blackhawks on Monday, acquiring defenseman Jake McCabe and forward Sam Lafferty as well as a couple of conditional fifth round picks. Going out is a first rounder in 2025, a second in 26, Joey Anderson and Pavel Gogolev and I am pretty thrilled with this one, boys, uh, specifically because of the contract situation for McCabe here. 50% retained, uh, so $2 million, not just for this season, but two more after. Uh, that is lovely stuff. Uh, since we still haven't heard from you on the O'Reilly and a cherry trade, uh, Keith, first word on this one goes to you. Uh, your thoughts on this deal?
1: Yeah, this it's... Perfect. I mean, I think the like you kind of just nailed it with the fact that these aren't rentals. Um, you know, it, it, they're giving up a 2025 first like that player's what seven years away from even being talked about. Like we're we're kind of the 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 knocker or, or I guess the fear um, about the Leafs D that we've kind of all had is is answered. Um, they just got a little bit heavier, a little bit more kind of mean in front of the net. Um, I think this might push Rasmus Sandin out of the lineup, but that's, that might be all right. Um We could talk about that a little bit more later, but I think the fact that you have added some of that size and intensity and kind of, you know, funny to call him like a playoff D man when he's never played a playoff game in his career but but he is just kind of fits that mold style he is he just fits that mold yeah and then you look at Lafferty who arguably is the same type of player maybe a little less I mean he's it's hard to say he's still pretty he's a pretty physical guy in his own right but you know he brings a lot more to the bottom six in terms of speed and you know he's a penalty killer I think he's high up in the leaderboard in shorthanded goals this year, you know, and even in the game that, that he played, um, that the Leafs won, he was the guy that jumped off, you know, more so than anybody. Um, when that that game seemed to be the, the Blackhawks Leafs game seemed to be kind of a, an audition for Kane and McCabe and, but it was Lafferty who kind of stole the show for me that night. I know he had that goal off of a bad turnover, but it was kind of the whole game and his, uh, he seems like a guy who's give a shit meter is very high. Um, and I think that's, you know, something that's going to rub off on everybody during the playoffs when everybody's meter kind of goes up anyways. But he seems like a guy who just has that all the time.
2: Yeah. I mean, th- I think the the mean quotient overall has been significantly upgraded by th- these two recent deals, uh, especially the, the McCabe and Lafferty one. Um, McCabe comes into the team. He, he now leads all Leafs defensemen in hits this year. So between him, Lafferty, and Achari, uh, I think the Leafs are adding like 350 plus hits to their lineup. So Kyle Dubas talked about wanting to be more competitive, more difficult to play against. I think this deal and the last one uh, both do that. And for me, the biggest thing was, you know, just plugging another hole in the lineup or answering another question that might have still remained with the lineup and and doing it, in a fashion that kind of takes care of it moving forward as well. Like you said, Keith, this isn't a pure rental. McCabe is going to be in the fold for the foreseeable future. And he just really checks a lot of the boxes that were missing from this lineup. I wrote at the Leafs Nation last week that, you know, after the additions of O'Reilly and Achari, it felt like the Leafs had a wealth of options and versatility and, you know, just a, a diverse forward group. And it didn't feel like they had quite that same level of versatility on the back end. And I I think the the addition of McCabe really helps to diversify that group and bring a little bit more sandpaper back there. This guy's a bona fide top four defenseman who's been playing on terrible teams for almost his entire career and still managing to put up impressive underlying numbers. So, yeah, I I think this is just a,
1: a fantastic
2: get for the Leafs.
1: And not not to put him in too much of a box, like this isn't Luke Shen no. or you know Roman Polak. This he, he can skate, he can he can move the puck. Like he's not no, he's not a you know, strictly just, a butcher like uh, like you said a Bogosian no. or Polak or yeah. He has those elements for sure, buddy. I mean, he he can kind of he, he's he's a guy you can put out in your top four and not be concerned about, and can keep up. I think with the pace of the Leafs play in terms of kind of that transition and and puck retrievals and making that breakout pass. Like he's not. You know, completely. So that's
0: that's my question. That is my question because he you know, he's had really good defensive results and it's good that, you know, he's done well on bad teams. It's obviously better than the alternative. Uh but like, you know, Buffalo and Chicago at the same time, like these are not teams that are exactly playing with the pace that this Leafs team is that he's coming into so like that's that's the thing I'm going to be watching for you know he he didn't look great in those games against the Leafs Um, he's not exactly a puck mover you know he has some skill but but it's not a strength like it's you know obviously you're looking for uh, some of the things that Jake Muzzin brought and and like I I don't think anyone should get confused about you know how he's going to drive play like he's not going to be able to kind of control the pace of the game I don't think like Jake Muzzin Muzzin could. He's going to bring you some of those defensive and physical attributes, but um, I, I, I'm going to be interested to see how he adjusts and how he adapts to a team that's, you know, frankly, just moving with with a lot more pace and, uh, you know, more authority. Yeah. Like, this is going to be completely new for him, right?
2: Yeah, I think given the circumstances, you're never going to find a, a direct, perfect replacement for what Jake Muzzin provided to this team but looking at what was out there uh, i don't think there was much of a a better facsimile for that than mccabe as you said cam he does bring a lot of those same elements maybe just not quite at the the same level that we saw from muzzin at least in his his first couple of seasons with the leafs before the injuries really started to take a toll but you know all season we were talking about having to to plug that hole or find someone to play that kind of role for this team and i i I think that McCabe is just about uh, as perfect a fit for that as as they could have found out there on the trade market.
0: Yeah. Breezing right past the, the return because yeah, it's, I mean, there's not, not much of consequence to talk about could there. Not,
1: could not be arsed about a 2025 draft pick. I don't care what round it's yeah. in.
0: <laughs> it's all in time. Um, Want to talk about, you know, how, how McCabe is going to actually slot in with this team. And, you know, the, the first look at the new defense pairings will probably be out by the time you hear this, but, but in general, how would you guys kind of slot this now with, with McCabe in the mix?
2: I think, you know, kind of piggybacking off of what we were just saying about J. Muzzin, I I think the natural thing to to try first would be going with McCabe and Hall uh, as a pairing and seeing if they can kind of Find some of that that same element that we got out of Muzzin and then Hall in the the North Division year, where they were just a spectacular shutdown pair. I think Hall. Uh, he, funny, we, we threw some credit Hall's way a couple of episodes ago, and then he ended up as a healthy scratch directly after that. Go. But uh, I think you know for the most part, he's been really solid for this team this year. And if you give him that kind of more permanent partner who is certain in his role and knows what's being asked of him and what kind of minutes they're going to be tasked with. I think that's probably the way that I would lean uh, initially keep Brody with Riley. And then you've got uh, Giordano and Lilgren making up your third pair. Uh, it's a, it's a significant improvement on the blue line from, uh, from what we were seeing earlier on this year when injuries were mounting and so many guys were getting into the lineup and being forced to, to play, you know, more difficult minutes than they were capable of at that time. Uh, the, you know, the team still did more than hold their head above water in that time. But it's just exciting to see everyone
1: kind of slotted in a little more appropriately here with the addition of McCabe. Yeah, I think my favorite pairing on the team, you know, is Giordano and, and Lilligrand when they're together. So I like that, you know, you can you can roll that out as your third line and and really kind of, you know, feel good about the matchups that they're going to get. So yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think it's it's McCabe and Hall to start, but I think that you know McCabe and Lilligren might make sense because yeah. we've seen Gio and Hall be pretty good together too. So I
2: think they're both viable
1: options. Yeah, I'd bounce back and forth between them, but I yeah. think I think Riley to be at his best. I think Brody is probably the guy on the Leafs that is the least maintenance. You know, you know what you're going to get every single night. Every you know you you do see him make the odd bad play, but it's very rare. He's so consistent, and and I think, yeah, I mean, for the right like Lilligren, I just don't think he's ready yet to be up on a first pair, you know, with Riley and playing the types of minutes that he's going to play. So, it makes a lot of sense for Brody and Riley to stay as is. So, yeah, those are those are the two options I think, but. I think the one I'd want to have a long look at would be would be McCabe and Hall. The, the thought of actually loading up Lilligren and Riley is kind of
2: intriguing, and I think the addition of McCabe kind of makes that also a more viable option, where you could put together two really solid shutdown pairs if you've got you know say McCabe and and Hall and then you, you go back to the glory days for Giordano and Brody together I, I think again it's it's just it presents a lot more options to Sheldon Keefe when trying to put his lineup care together just like the O'Reilly trade did up front
1: there's no traditional third pair this is a deep deep decor there, there's no like Giordano and Lilligren is not your standard third pair that's a damn good defensive pairing It like it's there's a lot of options and a lot of depth right now. You you got Connor Timmins who's played pretty well for the Leafs as your eighth defenseman right now. Like it's it's, it's good back there. It's it's you know I think we were a little concerned about it and i think that was more just about the style of hockey in the playoffs but i feel a hell of a lot better after today
0: yeah i mean it's all about options right and like you said nick and and it's it's something we've talked about a lot just inserting you know a couple of guys into a couple of spots and pushing everyone down and and the leafs have done that in a huge way with these these last two moves um and you know yeah not to be overlooked once again we talked about it last week nick when we were talking about the o'reilly a deal and it happens again where the leafs grab a depth forward in this deal as you know kind of not the headline piece but uh, sam lafferty is going to slide in there and and you know provide something in this bottom six uh what were your thoughts on that pick?
2: well that's uh i know thinking back a couple of weeks i actually put a, a mock trade idea up on twitter to kind of Gauge the, the masses and th- that was the, the package I had coming Toronto's way was McCabe and Lafferty. So uh, he's a player that's kind of been hyped up a little bit this year as the, the trade deadline has drawn closer. But I think he, he just he's going to provide a lot of what Achary has for this team uh, in the five games since he's been in the lineup. Um, probably brings a bit more speed. I know Kyle Dubas was really raving about that in his press conference following the, uh, today's trade. Uh, another physical player another right-handed face-off option in the bottom six uh, w- which can't be you know ignored either and a guy who you know prior to this year wasn't a big-time scorer but he's found a way to chip in and, and convert on his chances this year so it, it's it, the big thing is, is I think the Leafs have gone after very specific types of additions up front uh, ahead of the deadline here it, it, in all of O'Reilly and Achary and Lafferty, you, you have players who are more than willing to play on the inside, get to the dirty areas, corral those contested pucks in the slot, and, and maybe score one of those greasy goals in close in the playoffs. Uh, I know that's something that has kind of been missing from this group in recent playoff runs. And I think, again, it, it's just all about the diversity of this lineup. And I think the the moves that Dubas has made, including Lafferty, uh, it's... It really goes a long way towards adding that diversity to this group, and, and just giving them multiple different looks and different kinds of players for different types of situations.
1: I just think he's like another kind of speed and intensity guy that seemed to elevate their games in playoffs. Like you know, we've seen Nick Paul and Ross Colton and Brandon Hagel and these guys do in the past against us, and and even even a chari against us when he was you know on the Bruins. Like these guys seem to do something special every playoff You run. see these guys, they always have like a, a folk hero moment in the
2: playoffs, right? And, and like, yeah. it, it doesn't seem like the Leafs have had that guy really. It, it felt maybe like David Camp was going to have a couple of those Camp, moments yeah. last year against Tampa Bay. But now they just have more of that kind of gritty, give-a-shit element in players like Lafferty and Achari, not to mention O'Reilly and McCabe. So, yeah, I think, again, it's just kind of... Brought a different element to this lineup, and an element that's been missing in postseasons past. Big time.
0: Yeah, feeling feeling very good about the roster. Um,
2: Man, like the McCabe trade almost excited me as much, if not more, than the O'Reilly one. I think maybe a a big part of it is because it's a player who you know is going to be in the fold for a while. You know, a guy you can maybe develop a little bit of an attachment with, and not feel apprehensive about it, but
0: uh, yeah. we you use your jerseys? Again, we've been big <laughs> on that, you know? Yeah.
1: Oh, even even Lafferty at next year too. Like, it's both guys are around. Like, it's that's yeah, pretty Yeah, I big. think that's like the
2: biggest thing about this trade is it's probably going to get viewed through the lens of a, a lot of other moves that are made around this time of the year, which are typically for rental pieces and things like that. But not only did the the Leafs get a player who's going to help them out for, or two players who are going to help them out for the, this year's playoff run, they're both here for the foreseeable future. And McCabe is here for at least two more years beyond this one. So that that has to be taken into account when judging this trade. This isn't your traditional pre-deadline rental kind of deal by any means. And I think no. Dubas deserves a lot of credit for for having the foresight to, to make a deal like that, you know, just not to get too far ahead of ourselves because I think it's very important that we kind of stay in the moment and enjoy what's happening right now but looking ahead at the off season you know McCabe is now under contract for the same cap hit that Justin Hall is playing under right now on an expiring deal so you you're kind of also getting ahead of your off season business in a way too and yeah. just kind of insulating yourself moving forward uh, with this trade as well so yeah the a plus all around for me on this one yeah you're certainly not signing
1: Somebody of Jake McCabe's quality in the offseason for $2 million.
2: No, well, that, going back to the Seattle expansion draft, that was the big justification for keeping Justin Hall in keeping the first Hall. place, right? And I think, you know, Dubas has probably been proven right. At least say what you want about not having Jared McCann. He'd obviously be a fantastic piece to have in this lineup. But just, you know, going back to that original justification that it would have been impossible or th- very difficult at the very least to to replace what Hall does to this team or for this team at two million dollars. It was just it was gonna be a very tall order. So yeah, you're a hundred percent right, Keith. Having a guy like McCabe come in and be here for the foreseeable future at that number it is really, really good business. Uh,
0: we, we've kind of touched on it briefly here, but I wanted to get some more thoughts from you, Keith, because as we mentioned off the top, uh, you know, we didn't get your, your thoughts in the O'Reilly at Cherry Trade. First of all, I would like to to thank Kyle Dubas for, <laughs> for taking care of business. For me specifically, I was trying to figure out what, what to do for Uh, last week's episode which would have been episode 67 and we didn't have to think about it we just went follow o'reilly talk and uh, it just ignored the milestone so we're on to episode 68 Uh, keith your thoughts on on that big move
1: yeah um i was uh i was it was a friday night around midnight right so and i had uh, i had gone out for some drinks with some buddies who were all leafs fans um that i work with and they're all you know people that you can talk about hockey with and not want to kill yourself in real life and you know it's I, we missed each other all being together by that trade for about fif- by about 15 minutes when we left the bar but lots of text messages flying around didn't get much sleep that night it's super exciting i mean ryan o'reilly's yeah. <laughs> like a playoff legend he's he's just everything that you want on your hockey team and immediately kind of pushed some guys down in the lineup and made the bottom six better and then you add a achari into that and it kind of Doubles up on making the bottom six better, and yeah, I mean, he. I think we all kind of know where I stood on Timo Meyer as being my number one option and the guy that I wanted the most. Thoughts but and prayers. Close second has been Ryan <laughs> O'Reilly. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Which. Uh, that was. We'll talk about that later, maybe. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, that he was a close second for me, and and not, like really not far behind. And the, and fact the early that returns
0: haven't done anything to to damp oh. down your your <laughs> course, Yeah, I
1: mean, this like a getting a goal right away, and then the hat trick, and the you know four point game for for Ryan O'Reilly. It was, yeah, I mean, he he just it's just a a player that. You know, is kind of seems to be just tailor made for the playoffs, and and has done it in the past, and really just lengthens the lineup. And uh, you know, still have yet to see him in where I think he's going to end up, but which is on the third line as a center. But yeah, super excited about it. Loved watching those first couple of games with him. I was away and got to kind of just sit and do nothing in a hotel room and watch the game. And yeah, it was awesome.
2: I think a big thing with the O'Reilly trade was. Not only the excitement that came along with bringing in a player of that caliber, but the excitement that came along with, you know, it, it's obvious Kyle Dubas was not taking half measures this time around. You yeah. know, you go out and you get a player like Ryan O'Reilly. That's that's a big name. That's someone up on the marquee, right? You know, Nick Felino was a, a nice addition. At the time, you know the, the injuries, that stuff notwithstanding, that kind of took place. Uh, depending on who you ask, after he arrived, but this is, these moves are kind of of a different caliber. You're talking about a guy who has won a con Smythe, he's won a Selke, he's you know captained a team to the Stanley Cup. So this really kind of feels like the most all in deadline or all in at any point that the Leafs have been in a really really long time and i think it's after these moves it's undoubtedly the the best looking
1: roster this team has had in the salary cap era so do you do you think that that is the fact that we looked at you know the deadlines that he's had in the past versus this deadline which is like exponentially more impactful and given up way more than he's ever given up is that him learning from, you know, I can't really kind of have my cake and eat it too and keep my futures and still kind of contend? Or is it that he just trusts his team way more now to to do that?
2: I think it's, it's probably a combination of both. But I think another thing is kind of adjusting to the evolving trade market
1: and just kind of... To how the, insanely <laughs> fucked the <things> East <laughs> is. Yeah, also that. But
2: <laughs> you, you look at like the... The the deal that Tampa made for uh, Tanner Janot or, you know, even the the deal for Meyer, there's a a lot of picks involved in those deals that are further down the line than what we're typically used to seeing being, you know, change hands in in the NHL, especially in midseason. But I I think Dubas has done well to kind of adjust to that. You know, looking at this McCabe and Lafferty deal, the first round pick that they're sending to Chicago is top 10 protected for 2025. And the second rounder is all the way in 2026. So, you know, I, I yeah. think that, that is a bit of evolution in his thinking or his, his mode of operation. But it's, it's one that I think is a, an astute adjustment to make given the way things have unfolded around the league. And I, I mean, looking around at some of the moves that have been made, Obviously, Team O'Meyer was the the big ticket on the market, but is there a team that's done more to address the concerns for their roster and improve their overall chances than what the the Leafs have done
1: with the additions of O'Reilly, Achari, McCabe, and Lafferty? Well, it's not even close because you look at what Boston did, and, and you can make com- you can draw comparisons of Orlov and Hathaway to McCabe and and Lafferty. Yeah, I think
2: I give Orlov but, the leg up there, but you're you're not wrong. Sure,
1: yeah, like I mean, just in terms of. You know, I'd probably give Lafferty a leg up over Hathaway, yeah. right? So it's like, you know, that type of trade. But then you look at they also got O'Reilly and Achari. Like Boston didn't do anything close to that. Yeah. So like, yeah, no, nobody is added to the team the way that Toronto has so far in the deadline. But from in both a quantity and quality kind of look. Um, but one last thing just on the O'Reilly acquisition and, and what I kind of thought when it was unfolding is like, don't want to get into it beating beating the death online with the whole playoff format stuff and knowing that you're going to be playing the lightning forever but it's been a bit of a grind for me with these regular season games in terms of like giving a shit about them i mean obviously I, i'm always going to be excited to watch a Leafs game and i'm upset when it's not game night and i'm sitting <laughs> on the couch and there's nothing to watch like i'm always going to be but i have not been that pumped up for a regular season game you know from a selfish standpoint uh in a very long time, maybe since like Tavares' debut, I think. Well, it's always fun to see new players and
2: yeah, see the shiny new toys. And it just so happens that these shiny new toys are very shiny. Are made of the highest quality.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, as you guys were saying, you know, this is obviously the most Dubis has gone all in, and I, and I think that there's also an element here of you know you talked about like adapting to the 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 trade market and the east loading up but like it's also just like how many incredible players were available yeah. this time around and, and it's you know we're still a couple of days out from the a few days out from the deadline and but and he does just deserve
2: seems... credit for going for those bigger fish and not just kind of settling around the margins and trying to be the smartest guy in the room right like he, just, he went out and got the
0: players and he's paying the prices for the guys who deserve the prices yeah. right like you mentioned nick folino and we talked about nick Felino when we did our reaction pod last week and you know we we kind of Reference it more in like the framework of the deal where, you know, uh, the Leafs got Felino and they also got, um, you know, a defensive. Type of guy in, uh, give me the name
2: Riley Nash,
0: uh, <laughs> Riley Nash. You can and, be forgiven
2: and, for not remembering Riley Nash.
0: <laughs> and even though they, I think they were separate deals anyway, but but coming from the same team, but um, and, and you know, obviously with with O'Reilly and a Cherry, but like, you know, seeing some people compare uh, those deals from the perspective of like impact or whatever, like, give me a it's break. It's not even right? close. And no. Nick Fellino has been part of one team that has made it to the second round. Uh, like, I, I I did some digging here. His best finish in Selkie voting, the se- season before the Leafs traded for him, uh, he finished 23rd, okay? Ryan O'Reilly has finished top five in Selkie voting in each of the last four seasons. He won it in 2019. He won the consmite that year. He's about a year and a half younger than Foligno was at the time of the trade. And like the injury concerns are similar, similar here. Yeah. The pedigree's yeah. not close and the injury concerns aren't close. O'Reilly plays at least 70 games, basically every season. Uh, Felino may get to 70 this season. And if he does, it's going to be the first time since 18, 19, uh, And I I think that like this broken foot that O'Reilly is coming back from here, it's the longest he's been out injured, I believe, in his career from what I could tell. And it's a broken foot. Like, it's not like you're worried about your foot seizing up and having to crawl back to the dressing room. So your your broken foot um,
2: heals in a lot different way than a, a torn MCL or a a ruined back like Nick Felino had. <laughs>
0: yeah. Nick Felino is a good defensive winger who had some great years. Ryan O'Reilly has been one of the dominant defensive and possession centers in the game, basically since he turned 20. We're not talking about the same player here. Yeah.
2: And I don't, I don't want to be like overly revisionist either because I, I, Liked the Felino trade at the time, and I'll stand by that take. It obviously didn't work out, but we're talking about a completely different caliber of addition here with Ryan O'Reilly.
0: Yeah, both in terms of impact, uh, overall impact at the time of the deal. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited with the way things have gone well, down Well, we've
2: seen it already just through five games with the Leafs, right? Like that stinker against the Blackhawks notwithstanding, which was actually – the third night in a row that O'Reilly and Achari played, like what a whirlwind that had to be for them. They played with the blues on Friday night, got news of the trade, flew into Toronto the following morning, suited up against the Habs and then off to Chicago with the Leafs to, to play again against the Blackhawks that night. But I just think the team looks so complete uh, since those additions. And that's not even accounting for the ones that were made today. I, I think, in the five games since O'Reilly and Achari have been with the Leafs. They're 4-1-0, and I think they've outscored opponents like 21-11 to or something, and that's including that stinker against Chicago, which they gave up five. So, yeah, early returns have been very, very good, um, and we've even got a couple of different looks at at how they might plan on putting their forward group together just in the five games since that trade was made.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a lot of lineup talk that we're going to get to here coming down the road, um, but maybe the next time that we come to the good people, it'll once again be a, a, to talk about a trade off the top, very possibly three podcasts in a row, because I I, I don't know if, if the Leafs are done here. Obviously, looking not at done. the salary cap situation, can't, they can't be. Got to think.
2: With the roster they have right now, they're still a little over a million dollars shy of being able to activate Matt Murray off long-term injury reserve. Sounds like he's getting really close. It's going to line up right with uh, the trade deadline. And the only viable option to to go on waivers uh, on the current roster is Zach aston reese And his $840,000 cap it doesn't do it to create the room to activate Murray anyway. So that's kind of a fruitless endeavor. Uh, it, it seems like there's definitely something else coming. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if it's one of Alex Kerfoot or Pierre Engvall. They seem like the the obvious candidates. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see exactly how Dubis goes about executing uh, this next move that you know seems imminent when you're looking at the salary cap picture. I think he's got a couple of options and still has a couple of assets to to dangle out there um depending on on what is available uh on the trade market still
1: before friday yeah i mean you could look at it in a couple of different ways like if you move Engval, i think you clear you're you're clear of what you need by like a mill or so you know if you you, if you move move kerfoot you're almost three million or it's like two, two 2.5 or 2.4 or something like that in the clear. So are you moving them and, and just kind of recouping some of the ca- uh, draft capital that you've lost... Or you're then moving them and going, oh shit, we've got close to three million dollars in cap space now. Like, what else can we add? And then if, if that's
2: the the route they take, you have to start wondering about. Not to get too far into this, but you have to start wondering about that 2024 first rounder, as well as as yeah, Rasmus Sandin, who you know uh, is in the press. It box looks right like now. he's been relegated to the press box with this latest trade. I think you know at least if it was me putting together the the top six defensemen to ice on Wednesday night, Sandine's in the press box. I don't know about you guys, but. But I think I've kind of been lightly broaching the idea of, of cashing out on Sandine while he still has a bit of that prospect shine left. And yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's beyond the realm of possibility to, to
1: see him included in whatever takes place next. You got, I forget the number now, like four and a half million, maybe even closer to five if you package like a Kerfoot and sandine together. And it's not that this team needs to add another forward. Like, I don't, like, we're not sitting around saying it's a necessity, but if you throw O'Reilly on the third line, all of a sudden you're still thinking about that second line left winger. And there's some names out there, and it's, there's some intriguing ones, there's some kind of, you know, home runs that I don't think they, they'll pull off. But yeah, I wanna wanna be clear. Like I'm not saying that there's an, a requirement or a need for them to go out and get a second line left winger, but I do think that I, they still have the flexibility to do it is the main yeah, thing. Yeah, they have the flexibility and they almost certainly have to move on from one of Kerfoot or Engvall. And I could be just saying and and if you do want to trade Raspa you could trade him in the offseason yes. And you could recoup draft you can get trade him at the draft and, and get your picks then. But are you okay with, you know from an asset management cap management going all in lens. Isn't it fine to have Jim Jordy, Ben and Connor Timmons in the press box, then also having Rasmus Sandin in the press box. And when you could be, you know, that utility could be used elsewhere. That's, that's what I'd be looking at right now. If you're kind of already pretty much all in, like there's one more little move that you could probably make here. Um, but, again, that's asking for a lot. This deadline's already been in like A++ for me. Yeah. But that's just, like, going overboard. I didn't think the Leafs had... This this last trade in. Yeah, life. I think a lot of people were
2: skeptical that they might have even had one big one in them, never mind two, uh, the, the second of which was pulled off earlier today. Uh, I wouldn't go expecting a, a third big move or addition of any kind of consequence, but... They do have the, the flexibility to to do something else fairly significant if it, it presents itself before Friday.
1: If you start talking about retention and adding in the, the, the 2024 first in Sandine, like you could pretty much get a, a seven, eight, nine million dollar player if they're if they're willing to retain, right? So that's there's there's some significant impact that could be had. As a quick aside, the Toronto Maple Leafs you know, ye of no cap space <laughs> yeah. that we've heard forever have added Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty, Nola Cherry and Ryan O'Reilly and the Edmonton Oilers have done nothing and are still complaining about not having enough, not having any cap space and no flexibility to make moves. So that's just warms my cold heart. Quite a
2: bit. <laughs> and they brought all those players in Keith without subtracting anything off of their main roster. Nothing. And not only that, they didn't subtract any prospect of significance from their current pool. Like, Pavel Gogolev...
1: Even, like, a Topi yeah, Not like, even he's a, a Nick
2: Moldenhauer or a Thai Voigt, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, guys who are, you know, having nice seasons uh, in, as far as prospects go, but aren't, like, bona fide blue chippers by any means either. To the fact that, you know, like, Mikhail Abramov was my 19th ranked prospect i think on my midseason rankings and he's the most significant young piece that they gave up depending on how you feel about joey anderson but you know he he was headed to be a a pending rfa a a guy who hasn't been able to stick he's going to be 25 years old or something like that so i don't think it's any kind of significant loss especially when you're basically directly replacing him with sam lafferty who's also under contract for next year that's a a uh, pretty sizable upgrade, especially for a team that was probably looking to add a little bit more speed to that bottom six. Joey Anderson is uh, a lot of things. He's a quality bottom six player, but fleet of foot is not one of those things. And uh, yeah. I, I think that that's probably what's held him back more than anything. He'd probably be a, a pretty decent NHLer with a, a, a half a step quicker. But adding a guy like Lafferty in place of him, it's – yeah, just so many – options uh putting together the forward lineup and again the, the diversity and the different types of players that they can kind of trot out there it's it's really exciting
0: yeah i'm i'm ready to stamp it as a success and and there's still a few days to go so we'll we'll yeah. see how it uh, it all shakes out fellas thank you very much for uh for this and uh go leafs go sign dubas go leafs go